0: Okay, everyone, go ahead and make your way back to your seats. Do me a favor, though. Remain standing for the authority of God's Word. Uh, We love to read the Word out loud before we start to to preach, to hear God's Word instead of our own. And then in your worship guide, there is a small paragraph slash sentence that we'd like to say back to the Lord. And so we will all, all participate in that. So this is the Word of God from Luke chapter 12. Verses 22 and following, it goes like this. And so he, this is Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. reap, reap. Uh, They neither uh, have storehouses or barns. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God has clothed, The grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And we say back to the Lord. Flesh is like grass. All its glory, like flowers in the field. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Amen and amen. All right, so you and I both know about this word up here, right? Anxiety. Anxiety, it's universal for each one of us, and it oftentimes, whether you know it or not, it becomes a villain in your life, in my life. It comes for you and me alike, and somehow this one concept makes its way into every nook and cranny in our lives. It can become a shadow that just casts a dark, foggy cloud over our entire lives if we are not careful it rears its uh, ugly head in all kinds of ways, doesn't it? Physically, it has impact on us. Mentally, it has impact on us, even socially. So physically, you know how sometimes your, your chest can get real tight or your heart can begin, begin to beat because of anxiety. Some of you have hypohydrosis. That's right, you are in some kind of setting which you are super anxious about and then your palms begin to sweat. Anybody with hypohydrosis? You don't have to confess now, however, I know you are. All right. So then psychologically, you can waste all kinds of time thinking and toiling about the things of this world. So much so that psychologically, in your mind, it continues to spin and either you have restless nights or you can't can't even get to sleep at all. I know for a fact that if I'm up at three o'clock in the morning. If I wake up unexplicitly, I know that I've carried something from the previous day into my life. That's how I know psychologically. Anxiety has made its way into my life. Even socially, some of you become codependent. You cling to other people because of this one word. Ten years ago, uh, we planted Redstone Church. And there was something that happened to my body that has never happened before. I began to sweat. And when I said sweat, I became a sprinkler system. I mean, it was awful. And so I would have these uh, meetings with these donors, right? And beads of sweat would become rivers. It was awful. Um, I would be in, in leadership meetings and I would just start to sweat like crazy. But it was the sermons. I don't know if you were there in those early days, but it was the sermons in which really turned on the sprinkler system. I mean, a fire hydrant. It was so embarrassing. I was, we were at Trinity Art Center, and two different times, I felt an electric shock hit my joints. I think I was being electrocuted by my microphone. Now, that may not be true scientifically, but I was like, am I being—did I just electrocute myself with my own sweat? I mean, it was awful, y'all, all because of this one. I was fearing man, I guess, more than more than, more than God. And there's lots to fret over. Um, there's your uncertain future that you have anxiety over. There's inadequacy that comes into your life. There's this constant pounding of bills and repairs, and all of the thumping of life just gets at you. You try to tame your anxiety, and so do I, in all kinds of ways. We try to cope. So there's men and women in white coats that hand out a pill or two that help every once in a while. You've Googled a thousand different ways to do this thing a little bit better, and yet somehow it still ends up a little bit short. In fact, we live in the year 2023, and it's so crazy that some people out there have convinced you that an ice bath that's right, you have bought these tubs, you've filled it with ice, you've submerged yourselves in 58-degree water for multiple minutes at a time and called it therapy, right? Because it promises that it's going to free you of all your toxins and your anxieties will be gone forever. We've tried everything. Jesus says that there is one thing that gets to your heart and your mind and even your, the rest of your body more than anything else. And this, it's this thing called money. Somehow, money and anxiety, they go hand in hand. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that material goods and possessions and money, whether you have a bunch of it or too little of it, it is the thing that will increase your anxiety as much as anything else. Money and anxiety go hand in hand. So how is Jesus going to help us this morning? We open up our scriptures and we will hear him teach us. And the principle is this, is that if you are anxious, especially about money, it's as much of a physical reality as it is a spiritual reality. It's as much a faith issue as it is a bank account issue. And so before we get started, it's good just to examine your own heart. And so a question like this can be helpful. What financial concerns have, you take, has, have taken root in your life? Or another way to put it is, what unwelcome guest has been invited into your life that continues to bring turmoil into your life? Jesus wants you to look at the patterns of your life. Are you running after it? Jesus will ask you this morning. Are you trying to obtain it at a fervent rate, Jesus is asking us? Are you overworked or overabsorbed with it, Jesus is asking us? And if that is true, you need to know that money has a possession over you. And Jesus wants you to free you of that possession. Because oftentimes money and anxiety truly go hand in hand. So this is our passage. This is uh, Luke chapter twelve, the verse twenty-two and twenty-three says, and he said to his disciples, "Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you, about your body, or what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing." So here's what you need to know. There is a passage that precedes this that actually helps with our context. You've heard that context is king. Jesus is, this is a second of two passages in which Jesus is actually talking about money. So if you've got your Bibles open and you look at the previous passage, what's going on? It's entitled, The Parable of the Rich Fool. So what is going on? There's something going on with this particular man. And Jesus is calling him foolish, where the world is calling him wise. So what makes him foolish? Jesus goes on to describe that this is a guy who is truly misguided by his pursuits. He's probably wealthy, wealthy enough to fill up a couple of barns. He has so much success that he decides to scrap these barns, to build up bigger ones, and fill them as well. And Jesus is looking to us to warn us, beware This is actually a foolish endeavor rather than a wise one. Well, in today's passage, it's different. It's a different context altogether, and yet Jesus gives us the same emphasis. Money can plague us, and money can truly go after us and twist us in ways that we actually become you of little faith. So in a contrasting parable this morning, Jesus does something different. He says, He says to his disciples, not a rich man, he's saying to you, there is something you need to know about this. Disciples, I know that you're not rich. I know that you are following me and I'm not giving you any kickbacks on this endeavor. But you disciples, in the same way, money can plague you if you are not intending it. And so how will it plague you? It's not by the extravagant things. It's actually the basic things of food and clothing, the essentials. You see, it's easy for us to look at the uber wealthy and be very critical. Anybody who talks like this and says, hey, Margaret, can you grab my fur coat? I don't know where to Parked my yacht. I mean, it's easy to look down on those types of people, right? That, that, was, a, that was a laugh line. If you were wondering, I'd, I've been practicing that. <laughs> I haven't. I'm kidding. This. There has been very little practicing, but that was pretty good. <laughs> Can you back up? <laughs> so it's, it's easy to poke fun of the, at the Uber Rich, and that's just part. I don't know what's going on with this. We we'll just have to deal with it. It's just easy, but Jesus is saying it's not just the Uber Rich. Because the disciples weren't rich at all. In fact, the lure of money extends to all strata of life. That's what Jesus is saying in the context. Whether you are upper class or middle class or lower class, this pursuit of money, this idea of money can overwhelm you in a way that you don't even know where you're at. So you may be snacking on any kinds of things, whether it's caviar or Kit Kats or somewhere in between, and then for the possessions. It's the possessions that will address uh, impact you. Jesus is looking to his disciples, and he's saying, disciples, you need to be aware of this. You need to be aware of this. The disciples are more often than not, they're from Galilee. This is the working class portion. Do I just need to get another bite? They're too distracting. Greatest transition ever. Ooh. All right. All right. So the disciples. So he's looking at the disciples. And again, these disciples are not your upper-class echelon at all, at all. In fact, they mainly come from Galilee. This is the working-class portion, the northern part of Israel, right? And so when you think blue-collar, this is who we are. And yes, so the warning, though, is true, and I've said it, but I'll say it again. The warning is that money's corrupting uh, impact on your life is true on no matter where you are. And so what does Jesus look to his disciples? And he says, here is a command. Actually, it's an imperative. Do not be anxious. Don't worry about these things. They will actually come for you and hurt you over and over. In fact, if you look linguistically, it's called a double imperative because it's do not be anxious, do not worry. Do not worry about food and clothing. And so these very basic, essential parts of lives you, can consume you in a real and a powerful way. Has the necessities, the basics of life, of how you're going to provide for your family, not the exorbitant things, but the basic things, have it? has it consumed you? Money's corruptive power truly can come for all of us. Because then, what Jesus is saying is, not just the yachts and the fur coat. Oftentimes, it's just what we eat and the clothing that we put on, that will consume us. So Jesus teaches us about worry. He teaches us about anxiety. And so how does he do so? He looks to an everyday example. He looks to a bird, a bird of the field that you and I just look at and go, huh, Not spectacular at all. He looks to an example of an everyday bird and he says, I want you to learn from him. And so what is a raven? A raven is an overlooked bird of prey in our world. They're not terribly attractive birds. They're just there. Um, They're a little bit like crows, right? Just a little bit bigger. They squawk. They have wild and fiery eyes. They're associated with the city of Baltimore, right? And so these are just ravens. Now, ravens in the Old Testament, they get a little bit of the short end of the stick as well. They're actually ceremonially unclean. They're not able to make it into the Temple Mount. And so it seems like Jesus or God has truly dismissed the poor raven. And yet in the book of Job, there's a question. It says, who provides the raven its prey? Who provides it? And the answer is, well, God does. And so God is responsible for providing a ceremonially unclean animal because he is one of God's creatures. And so how does this, bo- this bird get food? Is he a farmer, right? Can he build his own barns? The answer is no. He's a scavenger, meaning he just goes about his day, and he just takes whatever he can get. Because he can neither uh, sow nor can he reap. He just gets what he gets and he doesn't pitch a fit. He's a raven. Jesus does something here. And he uses a technique called how much more. Where he is moving from the lesser to the greater. And he says to us with the reasoning, if God is going to take care of the raven, how much more? more will he take care of you. And so when you look at the birds and you see them flying about and you think they're just small, they're insignificant, they're even unclean, and yet the heavenly father is preparing and taking care of them, how much more are they being taken? How much more will you be taken care of? Jesus says, you brothers and sisters, you are valuable. And yet when you worry about your food in particular, where your next meal will come from, can you add a single hour to your life? And so he continues to press the issue in saying, worry will not do anything for you. It won't add anything to your life. In fact, it's the very opposite. You'll actually be taken away. It's actually subtraction. The average age is about 80, right? So if you live 80 years, you're going to live about 30,000 days. 30,000 days equates to 700,000 hours. Your anxiety over money will not add one hour to that total. Not one. Jesus is a good Savior. He's also, he loves you so deeply, and he knows that your heart can get distracted with money. The opposite is truly there. Anxiety actually stills your time. Because when you're anxious, especially about money, it will turn into troubles. And when you turn into troubles, you begin to waste your time thinking about those things. And then when you waste your time thinking about those things, it makes its way into your sleep patterns. And then you start losing sleep. And so when you wake up, you're not as... Not as um, alert. And when you're not as alert, maybe you have a knot in your stomach. And when you have a knot in your stomach, you're not as productive at work. And when you're not as productive at work, you start to complain. And when you complain too much, you lose your joy. And when you lose your joy, you start blaming God for everything. So it starts like a small little seed of anxiety, but then it morphs its way into your life and my life where there's no joy around you. And Jesus is looking at you and me and saying anxiety is not worth it. It's a thief. It's an absolute thief. He then looks to some flowers, something very different from a raven. There's a valley of these, of these lilies, he says, and Jesus is a little bit like a 70s hippie, right, where he's just kind of in a meadow, and he's, he's maybe like, look at these, or something like that, so he's just, just a little bit more free with this example. And so he's like, look at how beautiful. And he's just pointing and pointing and pointing. He's like, look at all of this beauty. Do you see this? And he's equating the the raven with food. He's equating the the lilies with clothing. And he says, I want you to look at the splendor of these lilies and and, and these flowers. And he's painting a picture for you and I, for our eyes to be full of beauty. It's wonderful and good because flowers are wonderful and good because flower shops are wonderful and good. Birthdays and anniversaries and Mother's Day, right? I mean, all of these occasions, you like dance recitals and all of the things, you buy flowers for wedding ceremonies and receptions and you just bring flowers on first dates and last dates and funerals. I mean, there are flowers everywhere. Why? Because they inspire us. They're amazing. They're wonderful to look at. They're wonderful to hold. They're wonderful in a vase. They're wonderful to smell. They are wonderful. And what Jesus is saying is, as beautiful and as splendor as they are, they haven't done one ounce of work to get that way. That's just the way they are. So he looks at this second illustration and equating with, our, with clothing And he brings the analogy just a little deeper. And he says, I want you to think about King Solomon. You may not know much about King Solomon, but King Solomon was the son of King David. And King Solomon was the wisest and the wealthiest man in the world up to that point. And he says, not even Solomon, with all of his splendor and might and wonder and goodness, even Solomon could not compare to one of those And then he says, For you are so much more. Martin Luther tells us that we need to look at the lilies because they're just standing there. And allow those flowers to become our teachers, to become our masters, for they teach us something that we can not know ourselves. How much more does the Father love you or will he provide for you than these flowers of the field? You see, wildflowers are spectacular and they're beautiful and you could look at them all day long but they're not known for their longevity, are they? And so in the same way that a raven is unclean in the temple, he's also demoting the flowers of the field and saying, you don't have that much worth. As beautiful as you are, you're not known for your longevity. We just said, The grass withers and the flowers fall. It's built that way. These flowers were built to be ephemeral, meaning short-timed. Just a blink of the eye or a snap of the fingers, here today and gone tomorrow, that's what it's meant to do. And Jesus says, they're not supposed to last, and yet they're full of beauty and splendor. And so we should ask, well, isn't that just a waste? A waste of God's creativity and time and effort? It's a total waste. And Jesus says, no, it's not a waste at all because they become our teachers. If God will do all of that, for a flower as wonderful and beautiful as that, how much more will he clothe you? And we are made in his image, and we are made in his likeness. We are built for eternity we have known Jesus and there's a plan for Jesus Christ to come and to live and to die in our place how much more will he love us if he loves us he will provide for us so then he says oh you of little faith do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink nor be worried For all of the nations of the world, seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I want you to notice that here's the warning. Oh, disciples in the working class, you too, you need to have a warning. Oh, you of little faith. You see, as your anxiety grows, your faith will diminish. Big anxiety, little faith. And it's just math. It's just an equation. Because the opposite is also true. Big faith, low anxiety. I don't know your story. I don't know exactly what you're bringing in here. You may be behind on your bills you may be credited to the max you may have lost a sense of security I don't know these things exactly and so this may feel like a pressure tactic it's not it's just that Jesus is bringing coming alongside and saying our faith is the what's being tested not our bank accounts he's wanting us to trust him fully and completely because our anxiety stems from a lack of faith in God's ultimate provision and care. And Jesus gives us two very simple examples for us to cling to, to understand that God truly will provide for his kids. The other thing he does in this passage is, he says, I want you to look about the way the world looks. He says that even the nations of the world, even the pagans around you, they act in a certain way and don't be like them. Why? Because your father knows. This is about God's fatherhood. This is not his savior or a god or lord or sovereign. This is a characteristic known as A father. That the father's number one thing is to keep you safe and to also provide for you. And so when you have anxiety, especially over money and the basic things of night, what you're doing is a direct attack on God's fatherhood. And you're not trusting that he will do what he says for us. The word for worry... Is, is actually an image of a ship on a sea in a storm or a hurricane. And it's being tossed there and, and back. And the thing that will settle the ship and to calm the storm here in this passage is for you and me to understand God's fatherhood. Because he is our good father. And he gives good gifts to his kids. What you're doing... Is that you're trusting money to do for you only what a parent can do for you, only what a father can do for you, who ultimately, supremely, sovereignly knows. God knows your predicament. He knows where you are in life. He knows that you flunked out of grad school. He knows that you can't get a job. He knows that you may have moved here for some reason. He knows that you are, you know, about to get fired. He knows that the groceries continue to be sparse. He knows that there's inflation. He knows. What will make anxiety drop? A faith in that one little phrase. Your father knows. It's personal. It's a personal pronoun. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The fatherhood of God has always been one of provision over and over and over again. And so what are we to do? What is our job in this equation? to seek. There's a negative example and there's a positive example. The pagans of the world, the people of the nations, they seek one way. But the people of God, they seek another. And what do you seek? You seek his kingdom. You seek his direction. You put your faith in the things that will last forever. His kingdom come, his will be done. So instead of worrying, And all of that energy and effort toward worry and anxiety, we replace it with the same kind of energy and effort. It's just seeking first the kingdom of God. The kingdom that will last. The kingdom that will be established here on earth like it is in heaven. The things of grace and the things of forgiveness. The things of reconciliation. The things of love right? And joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. The kingdom that will come and will change the world forever. That will actually put rulers and make them to cause them to stand still and to look at you because you have a wisdom that is not of this world. A kingdom that will never be defeated. A kingdom that is built on Jesus and Jesus alone who is the rock of our salvation. This is how we are to seek. And so your anxiety about your possessions can be logic, logical. It would make sense to anyone. But Jesus is challenging you this morning to say, the amount of effort that you're putting toward that anxiety, can you replace it toward a new type of seeking? And so 10 years ago, we started a church of disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples of Jesus. That's what we want to be about. Because we believe in this experiment of the upside-down kingdom. The fact that Jesus' wisdom is better than anything that this world has to offer. And so we the people of God, salt and light, to go and permeate the societies of where we work and where we live and where we play, and we just want to be God's people. And that's why we named it Redstone Church, because red stands for the blood of Jesus who washed away and bought our salvation. The stone is the stone that was rolled away on Easter Sunday. So both his death and resurrection, and then we are the church, both assembled and scattered. We just wanted to be about the gospel over and over and over again. And God has been faithful for 10 years. We've planted a church in Elizabethan. It's amazing. We're about to plant another one in Hampton. It's amazing to be a part of God's kingdom and God's kingdom's work. It's better than anything or any adventure that you've ever been on. We love it. And so for God's kingdom, we just ask the, leader, or ask the Lord to lead us, not just to reflect on his goodness in the past, but also where are you taking us, Lord? Lord. And that's been a persistent uh, question that we have in our heart and in our mind. Like, where are you taking us for the next 10 years? The last two family meetings, uh, we've brought up this idea of a facility. Like, Lord, is this our home forever? Like, will you have us in this gym? Or are you asking us to continue to seek first the kingdom and ask the Lord, is there a permanent place for us? And... us in our own efforts, we cannot produce that. It's impossible. You know the real estate market, and so do I. There's just not much out there. So we've put to the, the Lord, and we just continue to pray to him. And so at 9.52, uh, the staff and elders and other people, we've just challenged us all just at 9.52 in the morning to pray, Lord, will you lead us for the next 10 years? And if you want us to be in a facility, great. If not, that's okay with us. Well, on Thursday night, um, I got a tip of a facility that um, I've never even heard of or seen. And on Friday morning or Friday afternoon, finance team, committee, a a commercial real estate agent and the elders, we were able to come and look at a facility. Um, It is in North Johnson City. It's sitting on four acres. It's 10 to almost 11,000 square feet. And it's for sale. I talked to a real estate agent um, on Thursday night. I've never met her, never called her, I just got a contact from a friend. And then I said, uh, hey I introduced myself and um, she was sitting in the Atlanta airport because she just landed from Scotland or something like that. Why she picked up the phone, I have no idea, you, sh- you know, you just shouldn't answer those types of phones. But she picked up and she answered my questions. And she says, Spencer, I don't know why you called me, right? Um, but here's what I know. I'm actually, I'm an owner of a real estate company. And this facility's going on the market tomorrow. No one even knows that this is going on the market. So, uh, so yesterday, or Friday, we went and we toured it. And it's remarkable. It's remarkable. I'm not saying this is our new home, right? However, up to this point, it looks wonderful and good. So what we did, we took a step of faith. And great, just, uh, it was universal across both elders, real estate agents, uh, finance team. And we put an offer on this thing on Friday. So uh, we bring you this information simply to ask you to pray. Who cares if we move in it? We don't. We're totally open-handed. It's the Lord's, right? If he wants us there, great. If he doesn't, no problem. We'll continue to preach right? Each and every Sunday, we'll continue to disciple our kids in the next gen. However, we believe that a location, a truly a place to call home, it actually helps us equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It allows us to teach people to obey what God has commanded us. We believe that it actually allows us to plant more churches to invest in the next gen and to be an outpost for people who are far from Jesus and far from community. And for that, we have great um, uh, unanimous uh, decisions that we're going to continue to walk forward in this. So we'll keep you up to date. We're not letting you know the um, address yet because we still got to tie some things up. That's okay. The details really don't matter. It's just that we're on a faith journey. Did I tell you that we're about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary? (laughs) So, so ten years of setup and teardown, and God's been faithful and good, right? We don't know what the next ten years, but this is this time is is truly remarkable. So, brothers and sisters, your father knows. I don't know what you need in life. I don't know what I need. I know what I want. I don't know what I need. But you have a father in heaven firmly seated on a throne that's over both heaven and earth where he has sovereign control over all of it and yet he knows he knows where the ravens fly to and where they're going to get their next meal they know he knows where every single stalk of every lily is going to be planted next spring and he also knows your anxiety over money and he's saying it's just not worth it Can you trust me, even in the small things? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Father, we trust you. Let me pray for us. And so, King Jesus, we pray, Lord. And we want to give you our lives. And we also want to trust you with the material and the possessions of our life. And God, we want you— to declare to you that you are a good father who gives good gifts to his kids. That even though earthly fathers, they love their kids, would, and they would never give when they ask for a, a, a stone or a bread, would ever give them a stone. And how much more would the Father in heaven give us good gifts? And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our church and God, we know that you know what the future holds. And so that's why we love you and cast every th- our anxieties on you. And so, Lord, um, as we celebrate 10 years and we look backwards, we can't help but to look forward and to ask you to do big things, to do supernatural things where healing takes place, reconciliation takes place, where salvation takes place because of our church body. More than anything, we pray that you are glorified in all that we say and all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so what has God done for us ultimately? He's given his one and only son for us. So besides the provisions that he gives on a day-to-day basis, he has given a son who has died on our behalf. And that's why we come to the Lord's table every single week, because we need to reflect on God's provision ultimately for our eternal security in the back there are two tables and up front there's two tables and there you'll find a little piece of bread and and some juice and this represents uh, jesus's body broken and his bloodshed for us for the forgiveness of sins that's what's separating us from the father our sins and jesus says there's an answer it's called me so if you believe in jesus this morning If you trust him with your life, we encourage you to go to the table and say in this simple and short prayer, Lord, I believe you, and your soul will be secure. So go ahead and stand to your feet, and these tables are now open.